Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Chapter 9. Ramon, if you could uh, turn off that fan for me, please. Amen. I want to uh, just give you a heads up as we get started this evening. I want to uh, uh, remind you that we are going to be starting a new yearly Bible reading plan as of January 1st. Uh, please stay tuned for that. If you are on the Bible app, I want to ask you to join us there. Uh, the sermon that we are about to hear this evening comes directly from my daily Bible reading. And um, if you have read your uh, your your daily plan, then you will have already read this scripture today. And uh, that means that God is able to speak to us in an interesting way together as a church. And so I want to encourage you to be on the lookout as we start out a new plan uh, beginning on January 1st. So Hebrews chapter 9, as we look together at one scripture there in the Word of God, I'm going to share with you in just a moment. Have you ever wished... That God would give you a warning before your time was up? Have you ever wished that you know, God would give you the day of your ultimate demise on this earth? Like, like you know, on a, at a football game, when they have the two-minute warning before the game ends? Would you kind of wish that God would give you like a, a two-week or a two-month warning? Before the time was over. It would be interesting uh, because then we maybe could plan, you know, a few things and get a few things together before we knew our time was up. But, you know, we, we, didn't, we, we, we never get such a, a definite, finite warning. But can I tell you tonight, the Word of God does give us two appointments that we all must pay attention to. And they are in our scripture tonight. And my hope with this sermon is not to bum you out by reminding you of your mortality, but I want to inspire you to do something with the time that you have left. We all must have a sense of urgency because if we are honest, you are not guaranteed tomorrow, are you? And so we read this scripture, Hebrews 9, verse 27. If you would join me there. And it is appointed for men to die once. Did you hear that? That was an appointment. You don't know what the day is, but there is an appointment on the calendar that says all men are going to die. And after this, the judgment. It is appointed for men to die once. But after this, the judgment. Let's pray. Father, we come by the blood of Jesus. We thank you. For the spirit of the living God. 
We thank you for the word of God, which encourages us and speaks to us. I pray tonight that you would remind us of the urgency, the hour, God, the time that we are living. God, we want to do something that is meaningful with our lives. And God, help us to break out of the menial and the everyday and the things which don't matter with God to step into destiny tonight. We thank you for all that you're going to do in Jesus' mighty name. God's people would say, Amen. This is a message I've titled, Make It Count. Today is the only day that you can change. You can't change tomorrow until you get there. You certainly can't change yesterday because it's already been here and gone. But today you have a chance to change things, right? And with that point of view, we need to go forward into our lives with a sense of urgency. This scripture tonight is a reminder to all of us that we are limited. Now, I shouldn't have to remind you, and uh, I, I, I shouldn't have to remind myself, but this is something interesting about the human uh, uh, point of view. And I believe this is an echo of how God originally designed us. Because God designed us to be everlasting, didn't He? In the garden, Adam and Eve were not designed to be temporary creatures. They were designed to be eternal, to live together with God in the garden for the rest of eternity. That, of course, was broken by sin. And ever since then, men have experienced sickness and ultimately death. And thank God that He sent Jesus to fix the problem, but... The ultimate fix, which is resurrection, that ultimate fix won't come until Jesus returns and the millennial kingdom and all of that that we've studied in our study of Revelation. But there is an echo of that truth that still rings in our minds. We long for immortality, don't we? And because there is a part of us that doesn't want to think about death, doesn't want to think about the time that remains on the earth. And we don't want to think about it because it means ultimately that we are limited, we are finite, we are mortal, at least according to this life. We want to deny that because that's not how God made us. But because of sin, that is the reality that we have tonight. Uh, We may need to separate these people. Because they're being a little noisy. Have you ever wondered why it is that time seems to speed up as you get older? Have you figured that out? As you get older, it seems that the years are passing by more and more quickly. Can you believe we're already at the end of 2019? It seems like only a few weeks ago or a few months ago we were having another New Year's party. You know, the beginning of the year. (laughs) But here we are again, approaching another New Year's celebration. Well, I've shared this with some of you, but I figured out why this is the case. See, when you're small, when you're a young person, and you're only five years old, you know, one year is one-fifth of your life. That's a very large portion. When you're ten years old, One year, the same span of time, but now instead of 20% of your life, 
it represents 10% of your life. So as you age, each passing year becomes smaller and smaller percentage of your life. It's a matter of perception. It's the theory of relativity. All things are relative, like Einstein taught us. And as you get older, the same one-year time span seems to get smaller and smaller because our lives are getting longer and longer. And pretty soon, the years are passing in what seems to used to feel like a month. Do you remember when you were like 10 years old going on summer break and feeling like those two months or those six weeks in summer felt like an eternity? And going back to school felt like, oh, I can't even remember anything from the last year. It was so long ago. But now, it seems like a whole year can pass by and it feels like less time than that two-month summer break. And that's because, beloved, that we are getting older. I'm getting older, and if I'm getting older, that means you're getting older too. And it means tonight that we have to think about this life in a limited way. This is a reminder that is given to us in the Word of God again and again. Our scripture says it's appointed for men to, want to die once. You have an appointment with the end of your earthly life. I hate to bum you out, but stick with me tonight. We're going somewhere good. Genesis 3.19 says, In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. Dust you are, and to dust you shall return. So that was God saying that, wasn't it? God made that promise, and uh, have you ever heard of God telling a lie? God doesn't lie. He cannot tell a lie. He, it is outside of His nature, outside of His character to lie. And so it is true. We have to wrestle with this truth tonight that one day we will return Back to the dust from which we were created. 2 Samuel 14, verse 14. We will surely die and become like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. Yet God does not take away a life. He devises means so that His banished ones are not expelled from Him. So, part of the reason I'm preaching this tonight was just the reality of uh, that of death and that it presents to us. I uh, started listening to an audio book recently. Uh, it's a book that's written by a, a lieutenant colonel uh, in the army. And uh, it's a whole book about the nature of killing. It's a very interesting book, but he begins the entire first portion of the book speaking about death, this very same topic. And he's making the point that death used to be an everyday reality of every human being's life. Think about this for a second. In our modern world, it seems that we are able to somehow separate ourselves from the reality of death. What do you mean by that? I'm glad you asked. I'm going to tell you. It used to be if you lived on a farm and you wanted to eat chicken for dinner, there was a chicken out there in the yard. And mom or dad would say, go get that chicken and bring it in for supper. And you would go out to the farm and you would pick up the chicken and somebody would have to kill that thing. And hang it upside down and let the blood drip out. And pull the feathers off 
And today, if you want chicken, you just go to the drive-thru. Today, if you want chicken for dinner, you go to Food Lion and you get a package that's wrapped in plastic. There's no death attached to it. See what I mean? It used to be, before the modern era that we're living in now, that if a family member died, you didn't call 911. Your family would deal with the body. Your family, a spouse, a husband, or a wife would prepare the body of their spouse who had just died for burial. It's still like this in most places of the world. I remember when we lived in Bulgaria. You know, we spend a lot of time and money on this whole process, if you've ever had to go through this in your family, of embalming a body, preparing it for burial, and they, you know, they, they put in some, some chemicals so that it doesn't decompose. They, they, <laughs> they, they put you know, this makeup on and, uh, and fix all the hair and everything to, to, make, to make this body present like it's still alive almost. Because we don't want to look at death. But when we lived in Bulgaria, I was amazed uh, that we, we knew somebody who passed away while we were there. And, you know, they don't do all of that. They don't have the money to pay for embalming chemicals. And so uh, they have to get the body into the ground in like 48 hours. For very practical reasons. Because if you don't then Uncle Joe, who just died, is going to start stinking up your living room. And I, I, I'm not trying to be, you know, weird about this, but it's the reality that in other places, other cultures, they have to deal with this debt. They have to take care of it themselves. Family members are going to put their own family members into the ground. You're going to have to dig a hole. And that's how it has been for most of human history. It's only for the last 50 to 60, 70 years here in the West that we have separated ourselves from the idea of death. It used to be death was all around us. We would see it. We would have to deal with it. You know, there was a time in human history when parents would have lots of children. Do you know why? Because there's a good chance that some of those children were not going to survive past their fifth birthday. And you need somebody to pick the cotton out in the fields. Uh, I saw an interesting documentary that was showing that even in the late 19th century, after they had invented photography and, and uh, cameras and film, they were showing these pictures of children, maybe five or six years old, and they were sitting there in this, in this pose next to the dead body of one of their little baby brothers or sisters because they wanted to document that that child had lived and then died. And they would put a picture with all of the older brothers with their hands on the child, like saying goodbye to them. You say, Pastor, I, I, you, you are trying to bum us out tonight. No, I'm not, seriously. I'm trying to make the point that we have separated ourselves so far away from the idea of death. And it's to our own detriment. Psalm 89, 48. What man can live and not see death? Can he deliver his life from the power of the grave? 
Ecclesiastes 3.20, all go to one place. All are from the dust and all return to the dust. You know, it is helpful and useful for us sometimes to turn our minds toward our future demise. Listen to what Ecclesiastes says for those of you who disagree with me. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 2, better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. In other words, it's better for us to go to a funeral than to go to a party. Everybody loves a good party. We're going to go to a nice party on Friday. But what's better for your soul, a party where we all have a good time or a funeral where you look into the face of what is going to ultimately be you? What's better for your soul? I'm not asking which one are you going to have more fun at, but which one is ultimately better for you to experience? Which one is going to help you be a better person? A few years ago, when, uh, when we had this event where uh, one of Jaylee's classmates tragically died from a very rare type of cancer, and you all remember when we went through that, uh, Johnny Captain, and he passed away. He was only six years old. And, uh, and so, you know, here's this kid who had sat right in the same class as our daughter, Jaylee. And when he died, uh, we had a decision to make whether we were going to go to that funeral or not. We got an invitation. And uh, are we going to go to the funeral, and are we going to bring Jaylee along with us? And it was very tragic. It was very hard. Very sad for us to go through that. But ultimately, we came to the decision that we should not hide the truth from our seven-year-old daughter. That she should go to a funeral, and she should see a dead body of her former classmate lying in a small coffin, because that has a profound impact on any one of us. And we walked away from that funeral... Can I be honest? We walked away heartbroken, but filled with the Spirit of God. Filled with perspective on life. We learned lessons that day that will stay with us forever. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 4, The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth or partying. So what lesson do we need to learn from this truth that you are very, very mortal? What lesson do we need to learn from that? The lesson is this. Time is short, so use it well. Time is short, so make it count. If you're waiting to do something important, stop waiting and get busy. That's the message tonight. And I've got a little picture that I'd like to put up on the projector there. The message is to make it count. You will never have this day again. So make it count. You will only have one chance to live tomorrow. It's only going to have one opportunity. So make it 
count well. Tonight, we all have a sense that our mortality, there's something wrong about it. And we are right about that truth. We were not made for mortality. You were not made to have an expiration date. Death and sin and the, 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 the fact that we are going to one day get sick and die, that is unnatural to us because that's not the way God created us. We yearn for a sense of permanence, don't we? And when we begin to think about this truth that time is short, it can do strange things to us, but what it really ought to inspire people of God and people of faith, it really ought to inspire us tonight to make it count well. There have been, you know, the, uh, the, the death rate among human beings is still 100%. None have escaped except for a very few rare exceptions in the Bible. People like Elijah who were taken up in a chariot of fire. But none have escaped the curse. No, not even the Son of God who went to the cross. He tasted the same mortality that you and I have to taste. And so if that is true tonight... We must consider our time. We must consider our lives that we are not going to be here forever. Unless Jesus comes back, then we are all going to face the ground one more time. From the dust we came to the dust we shall return. What does that mean for you? It should, if you have the right perspective, if you have the right heart, what it really ought to do is not depress you, but say, wow, I've got to get busy. I need to do something. I have children that live in my house that I need to get busy training them how to be disciples of Jesus Christ. I have a church that I'm going to, but I realize that this church is going to outlast me. One day the church will continue, but I will not. That means I've got to leave a legacy behind. It means I have a family, I have a future that I need to leave an inheritance to. In Proverbs it says that we ought to leave an inheritance for our children's children. Our children's Children, I want you to consider with me tonight that you have something that every famous and powerful person of the past does not have. The emperors of Rome, the pharaohs of Egypt, the kings and queens of antiquity, the founders of the United States of America, Great men and women who have gone before us throughout the history of the human race, there have been some amazing people that have lived, that have made their mark on the world. But can I tell you something tonight? You have something that they don't have. You have today. You have tomorrow. And if God would give you time, you have what they don't have anymore. 
history, those who have come before are looking at us and saying, what will you do? What will you do with the time that God has given you? In Hebrews 12, verse 1, it speaks about a cloud of witnesses. I want you to hear this tonight. We are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Who are these witnesses tonight? Who are the witnesses and who is this cloud that observes us that have gone before? Well, very simply, these are all of those who have died in faith before us. It is those who have died with a relationship with Christ, who now are in the presence of God Almighty, in the presence of Jesus. There is Abraham. There is Moses. There is all the, the, uh, the, the patriarchs of the faith who have gone before. There are the apostles. There's Jesus, there's Peter, there's John, there's Bartholomew. There's all those who have lived and made their mark on the earth. But where are they now? They are with God in heaven. They are part of the cloud. And the Bible calls them witnesses. What are they witnessing? They're witnessing what's happening right now. This is why this, there is a doctrine of soul sleep that some Christians have subscribed to. It's the doctrine that says uh, when a Christian dies that we go into some kind of holding pattern or a, a, a time where our soul goes to sleep, where we are unaware, where we are unconscious, and ultimately uh, Jesus will raise us from the ground and then we'll be conscious again. I don't subscribe to that because there is a cloud of witnesses that even now, from heaven, there is a group of all the faithful saints who've gone before, and who are they looking at? They're looking at you. You know who else is part of that cloud of witnesses? People that you know who've passed on to be with the Lord. People that you love. People who have served the Lord before you and have now passed into eternity. They're part of that cloud of witnesses too. I don't know about you, but part of the reason why I want to live for God is because of my grandpa Cliff. Grand Mary's former husband. They were married for over 50 years. I believe he is part of that cloud of witnesses. And he watches my life. And you have your own, don't you? You have your own people who have gone on before us to be with Jesus and are looking down on your life. And that comes with it an amount of pressure, doesn't it? There's an amount of expectation on that. There's an expectancy that if there's somebody watching or witnessing my life, that I ought to be doing something. There's a whole host of witnesses that wish they had another day to live on earth, but they don't. But you do. We are surrounded by so great a cloud. And Paul, or the author of Hebrews, gives us the lesson that we should learn with the knowledge of these witnesses. Listen to what it says. 
being surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Beloved, how many millions of saints have gone before us to join that great cloud of witnesses that wish they had one more day on the earth. But they don't have that chance. You do. And what will you do with it? So often we spend so much time planning years or planning months or weeks into the future. You know, as a, as a pastor, I have to uh, fill the calendar of the church by faith. That's, that's par- part of faith is looking into the future and planning revivals and uh, planning events and things like this. But can I tell you something? We should not be so wrapped up with the, with the future that is far away that we, that we miss out on the present that we miss out on the miracle that is happening right now. I am very aware. And my children are growing up very quickly, right before my eyes. That from the time that I became a father 11 years ago, people were telling me, Pastor Campbell had been mentioning over the pulpit, I can't remember how many times, he will say the same words again and again. He'll say, you'll blink and they'll be moving out of your house. You'll blink and they'll be getting married. You'll blink. And because he said that to me so often, it's like I want to cherish every day. Every day. Because it's a limited time, isn't it? When we have this point of view that the, the, the present is so precious, you know what it means? It means that we will not waste it. I just heard an interview today. Uh, Dr. James Dobson, he interviewed a woman who had a crazy life. She was, uh, she was a survivor of the Boston Marathon bombing a few years ago. She got blown up and lost a leg and terrible situation. But she she had a crazy life even before that happened. She began to tell a story that's been ringing in my mind ever since I heard it. She said that when she was young, her father was a preacher, an evangelist, going around preaching from place to place. But he had an anger problem. And he would go from church to church and he would preach the gospel, but he would come home and get angry with his family and his children, and he would beat his children. And she was one of those children that would get beat up. And I'm thinking to myself, what kind of a man could stand behind a pulpit and go home and beat his children? And I'm thinking about how it would have stained their relationship for the rest of their lives. What a waste. And I think to myself, I don't want to waste the time that God has given me with my children, with my church, with the opportunity to stand behind a pulpit like this. I don't want to waste a single sermon. And the reason is not just 
because we're going to die one day. It's not just because there's a cloud of witnesses watching our lives, but there's another reason tonight that we have to make it count. And that was in our scripture. It is appointed for men to die once, but after this, what? The judgment. And I ask you tonight, who is the judge? It's God. We love to think God, think of God as our Savior. We love to think of Him as our teacher. We love to think of Him as our Father. And He is all of those things. But can we be reminded tonight that God is also our judge? For those who are ungodly and righteous and those who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, they're going to receive a judgment from God, aren't they? We read about that in Revelation chapter 20, the great white throne judgment where all those who are not in the faith are separated from God for all eternity. But let me just remind you again tonight, church, that just because you're saved does not mean that God will not judge you. We will also experience a judgment. You will experience a judgment. God's going to judge us based on our works. Not the works of our sin, because once we become part of the body of Christ, our sins are washed away. Thank God for that. To be remembered no more. The sins have been nailed to the cross. And the penalty has been paid. But I... The judgment that you and I will face is a judgment of our works of faith. Do you know what that means? That God is keeping track of what you do every day. Every idle word, the Bible says, is written in His book. Does that still have an effect on you? Every idle word. Ecclesiastes 12.14 God will bring every work into judgment including every secret thing. Let that sink in for a moment. Every secret thing. Acts 17.31 He has appointed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness. Romans 14.12 Each of us, this is the church, each of us shall give account of himself to God. That's a pretty tough place to say amen. First Corinthians 4.5 The Lord, when He comes, will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsel of the heart. You see that the judgment does not only include our works and our words, but the very intents of our hearts. The intentions. Not just the right thing that you did, but the reason why you did that thing. There's a judgment. Second Corinthians 5, again, written to the church. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. 
that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So I don't know about you, but when I read about the judgment, I start thinking about all the things that I'm not happy with about my life, about my faith. It inspires me to do better. And I'm not talking tonight about beating yourself up and falling into a depression because you feel inferior to other people. See, that's the, that's the condemnation that the enemy wants to bring. But tonight, what, this, what these truths ought to produce in us is an inspiration and encouragement that we don't have to waste time like we have in the past. We can't change the past. What we can change is how we live today. You can change how you're going to live tomorrow. When you wake up. So I want to close with this last thought. Of redeeming the time. Because the truth is, we all waste time, don't we? Precious time. It's the one thing you can't purchase. No matter how much money you have, you can't buy time. So what if you've been wasting your time? What if God has given you a destiny and you've been putting it off? What if tonight God has given you a, a purpose? God has given you an opportunity and you wait. What if there's a person that God has asked you to speak to, but you've been unfaithful and disobedient? What if there, you've been just embarrassed to talk about Jesus and you've had time and again you've wasted and squandered the opportunity? What if tonight there's a sense of, oh no, I don't want to be judged? For the time that I've wasted. I have hope for you this evening. And the hope is. The Bible says that there is such a thing. As redeeming the time. Redeeming the time. Let me show you this with you. And then we'll close. Ephesians 5 verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly. Not as fools. But as wise. Redeeming the time. Because the days are evil redeeming the time because the days are evil it is possible that you can walk for a certain amount of time as a fool and we all have done that haven't we there are times in your life there are seasons when you will be acting foolishly it's okay you don't have to say amen we know it's all true you can walk as a fool you can make foolish decisions and we all do from time to time but the hope is that we can redeem the time. We can redeem it. How do we redeem the time? Simple. Obedience. Do what we're supposed to do in the time that God has called us to do it. Ecclesiastes 9.10 Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. Do it well. Do it with strength. Do it like you mean it. Seize the day. Make it count. Don't waste your time. Romans 13, 11. Knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of our sleep, for now our salvation is nearer 
than when we first believed. Isn't that interesting? Seems obvious, but we don't always live like that. The day of our salvation is closer than when we first believed. That's true whether you got saved yesterday or whether you got saved 20 years ago. The day of judgment is quickly approaching. And so Colossians 4, 5, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside redeeming the time. The best example I could give to you is, is a pastor. When I got saved, he wasn't a pastor. He was an old, grouchy person that I didn't want to be around. Some of you already know who I'm talking about. But there was a lady, when I got saved in the Chandler Church, there was a, there was a nice lady who, who I, I didn't know much about. Her name is Carol. And she was very faithful. She would come to every service. She was involved. She was giving in the offering. She was uh, doing some various ministries around the church, doing the nursery for the children. She's a nice lady. When I got saved, you know, I'm starting to learn about people in the church and figure out who people are. And I'm, I, I realize that she's married, but I've never met her husband. And so I'm like, okay, the guy, he doesn't come to church. Okay. So one day we got, uh, we got tickets to a baseball game, I think. There's a Phoenix, uh, the, uh, the Arizona Diamondbacks. And, uh, and they, they were giving us tickets. And I got to get a ride with her husband. It was the first time I met him. His name is Mark. And uh, so he, 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 he comes and he picks me up. And he's in this huge pickup truck, like the kind that has a step before you actually get into the, the truck. You know what I mean? It was like three feet off the ground. Massive, amazing truck. So I, I was having a little conversation with this guy, but he's very short. He's very sharp. And I'm like, okay, I guess he doesn't want to talk. So I didn't know all the history. I didn't know everything that was going on. I was just, you know, new convert. <laughs> Thanks for the ride. And thanks for the Diamondback tickets. Had a great time. So, as time goes by, I'm starting to figure out who this guy is. So they're married, and somebody told me, oh, yeah, yeah, they, they actually used to be a part of the church together as a family. Really? Yeah, yeah, you, you know, he actually was a pastor at one time. Really? He was a pastor? Yeah, no, not just a pastor. He has... He had, uh, him and his wife, they were missionaries. They lived for years in Hong Kong, China as missionaries. Seriously? What happened? Oh, it's a sad story. He backslid. Got bitter at God and something happened in the church and who knows what it was, but he got angry and left the church. And now his wife has to come all by herself with the kids. Years. He was backslidden, away from the church, away from God. I think it was eight or nine or ten years. So then I remember so clearly one day, there we were, in a, I think it was a Wednesday night service, just like this. And Carol, who normally sat like on this side over here, this part of the church, all of a sudden we saw Mark, her husband, come into the service. And there he was, sitting right on the end of the row. And I was like, is that Mark? It was the first time I had seen him in church. Pastor Campbell's preaching. 
after eight or nine years of this guy being backslidden, he sits there during a whole service. Pastor Campbell pulls an altar call, and his hand goes up. And he comes down to the altar, and I remember it was like right here. And he bowed his head. Pastor Campbell, he never does this, but for this service he did. Pastor Campbell came down off the pulpit and prayed the sinner's prayer and received him back into the, into the sheepfold. I, I didn't even know him really that well, but I felt it in that moment. The whole church felt it as he was coming back to the Lord that night. And from that day, he started coming every service. Well, fast forward now, it's been like 10 years since that happened. He's been a missionary two times since then, and now he's the assistant pastor in the Chandler Church. But the reason I'm mentioning this story tonight is because he preached a message in the Chandler Conference, and he preached about redeeming the time. And I'll never forget his message because he personally testified that he spent nine years of his life being bitter against God and bitter against Pastor Campbell and bitter against the church. And he says, I look back on it now, I wasted nine years of my life. He had lots of success in the world. He made a great business, became uh, very financially wealthy. But he says, all that time I was running from God, wasting the time. But he used his conference sermon to remind the church that it is possible to redeem that time. And he found hope in that scripture. And my hope tonight is that you would find the same hope no matter if you've been wasting time being angry or bitter against God or simply just wasting the time that God has given you that you and I, we are able to redeem that time if we will simply be obedient. And my prayer tonight is that someone would hear this message and say, I, I might have made some mistakes. I might have wasted some time. But you know what? I'm going to make it count. Tomorrow, I'm going to make it count. I don't know how much time I have left. You don't know how much time you have left. You might have one week left. Or you might have 20 years left. Or you might have 50 years left. Make it count. Make it count for God. When we stand before Him to give judgment, the Lord is not going to be impressed with how many points you got on your game. He's not going to be impressed with how great your team did. He's not going to be impressed with all of your earthly accomplishments. But what impresses the Lord is what we've accomplished for the kingdom. So make it count. Let's bow our heads. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vbph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website at vbph.org and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.